Amen. Please be seated. Well, believe it or not, we've come to the end of ordinary time, that season in the church, that long season after Pentecost. And uh, so this is the last Sunday before we switch things up a little bit and we enter into a new church year, the first Sunday of Advent. The liturgical colors change, the uh, service changes a little bit, we go to different prayers and that kind of thing. Because, But today we're celebrating, and you maybe picked that up from the readings and the hymns, we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday. And so today, we're all monarchists. I am anyway. No, I'm not kidding. (laughs) It's a different monarchy. Uh, We're used to earthly democracies. We're used to having a say in government. It's majority rule. We get to vote. That is not the case in a monarchy. Um, uh, Well, constitutional monarchies, like in England, you get to do all of that stuff. But a true monarchy, monarche, is there's one supreme leader. And they get to say what should be done. And everybody within that kingdom is a subject of the one king, the one sovereign. It's what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesians when he says that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Christ is sovereign. That means that he is the sovereign Lord over every single monarchy, democracy, whatever earthly political convention there is anywhere, he is Lord over that. He is Lord over all nations. He is Lord and King over all peoples. He is the sovereign over the entire cosmos, over everything that has been created. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is, and yet he is not yet fully revealed as such. So in a way, he's an incognito king, but he is still king, and he is still Lord, at the end of the age, will fully see the glory that is his now, but we do not see. It's a wonderful passage, um, one of my favorites in Revelation, where he's on a white horse, he's on a white charger, and he's got myriad upon myriad upon myriad of angels behind him. His army of angel warriors, and he's sitting on a white horse, and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's our king. 
He's our sovereign. And if he is truly sovereign, then all allegiance and all obedience is due to him in every area of our lives. Now, if he were a tyrannical ruler, that would be a problem. But he's not. He's the contrary to that. He's a gracious, loving, caring, sovereign Lord who knows better than we do what is best for us. He cares for us and we owe him our allegiance, our obedience Our faith in action, that's what obedience is. It's taking our faith and making it obedient in action to him. The entirety of our lives submitted to his rule. Our bank accounts, our talents, our skills, our relationships within our close sphere of family and friends, within the community, within the nation, within the world. All of our relationships come under his sovereign authority, as do our morality and our ethics. There is nothing of us outside of his sovereign rule. Because if we are Christians, he is king, he is our king, and therefore we are his subjects, and we owe him all of who we are, our entire allegiance. We don't get to vote. But we serve a gracious king. A king who is described to us throughout scripture and in our Ezekiel passage as a shepherd king. A shepherd king who comes himself to shepherd his people, to shepherd the flock, whose relationship with his people is that of a caring shepherd. And we hear what that looks like in Ezekiel, a shepherd who seeks the lost, who brings back the strayed, who binds up the injured, who strengthens the weak, feeds them with justice. He will save the flock. He will also judge between the sheep. Because this shepherd king's benevolent rule is completely intolerant of injustice and the lack of mercy. He requires both justice and mercy. We know that from Micah, from all through the Old Testament. But a a favorite passage in Micah, what is required of you, O man, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. For when the king returns, he will judge the peoples of all the nations on how well... They did justice and how well they showed mercy to the king himself. 
Did they give him food when he was hungry? Did they give him something to drink when he was thirsty? Did they welcome him as a stranger? Did they give him clothing when they had none? Did they tend to him when he was sick? Did they visit him when he was imprisoned? And some will respond, um, I never saw you, sovereign Lord in any of those states. Surely we would have recognized the king and ministered to him if we had seen him. The thing is, is the king so associates with his family that even the lowliest of the low the ones who others might discard, the ones others find difficult, the ones who it might be embarrassing to be seen with, the ones who have a past, the ones who look different, the ones who speak differently. If they call the king their sovereign, then they are his beloved family and he is found in them. And so the ones who ministered to his family without recognizing him not for any gain nor for fear of any punishment simply because they did justice and they loved mercy to him he says truly I tell you just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family you did it to me Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are the ones whose faith has grown feet and hands, who have stepped out and reached out, who have gone out and seen Christ in the other, who have done justice, who have done mercy, acts of mercy. It's apparently what's happened in the church in Ephesus. Love in action. Their faith has been shown forth by love in action. Paul says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. It's the inheritance here. When Bishop Whipple founded Church of the Good Shepherd in 1883, he and his wife lived in a house across the street on the lake where Maitland Shores is right now. And she kept a pantry stocked so that if anybody came by who was in need, She would hand them whatever they needed. It's part of the heritage. It's part of the fabric of Good Shepherd, this church. It was continued on in the food bank ministry, George Bayer, and today with the committee. (laughs) None of them want to take responsibility or or they don't want to be seen higher than any of the others. There's a committee back there. Uh, They're called themselves the committee. George Schultz, George Medill, and Dick Boucher, and I know many others who work there. George, George holds the checkbook, though. George Schultz holds the checkbook. But it continues. 
That ministry continues. Last Thursday, the scouts packed over 200 bags of turkey and all of the fixings. Tomorrow, those will be handed out. Every single year, the food bank hands out over 200 bagged meals for people to take home and cook at home, which probably feeds families of four to six people. So you can extrapolate that out. That's a 1,000 or so people who are fed through that ministry. We added a couple of years ago hygiene items People who are homeless need socks. They need to be able to wash and feel clean. We provide uh, clothing, business attire for women who have been either homeless or down and out who are going for job interviews through Dress for Success ministry. Uh, those, those good suits, those good, that good clothing is taken out of the rummage sale and given to that Dress for Success ministry. Not only do we give a hand out in an emergency food pantry, but we've partnered with Jobs Partnership of Florida, whose vision is to give a hand up to provide training, skills training, interpersonal training for people who are chronically underemployed so that they can actually go and get a job that provides for the family, for their family. We've begun two small community gardens with the hope that we can continue back into the back 40 so that people can just come and find vegetables to take home with them if they are in need of those things. Once a month, on the sixth day of every month, a group of men get together in the kitchen and cook an evening meal and a bag lunch. And then they go down and they take it to men who have come out of prison and uh, and, are getting a fresh start. It's called Fresh Start Ministry. Every sixth day of the month, they need some help, by the way. They go out to people who have come out of prison. We host several Gamblers Anonymous groups to help people overcome addiction. Around this time every year, through her contacts in the public school system, Bob Masters gets, uh, puts up angel trees at the back there and in the narthex of the chapel. With the, and this year, our Talitha Coombe Girls Group Uh, did the labels for us, as did our MOPS group. Over a 100 children who would not otherwise have gifts this Christmas through your generosity, if you had taken a tag, will get a Christmas gift. Through very generous gifts to my discretionary fund, we've been able to help families who otherwise would be homeless helping with their rent from preventing electricity from being cut off, paying for certification costs for people who needed to get certified to go out and to get a job. We've helped with car payments, insurance payments, so that the only means of transportation that families had would not be taken away from them. We've helped ministries who've helped people in war-torn Iraq, in India, and a local ministry that helps provide shelter and counsel to homeless teens through our super supper with uh, Joy that Joy did this last Lent. 
we were able to gather money to send to Episcopal Relief and Development Fund to help persecuted and displaced people in South Sudan. Through Tabitha's treasures, we have knitted and loomed and crocheted countless, countless chemo caps for babies through adults that have been given to MD Anderson and Florida Hospital, prayer shawls that have gone into nursing homes and hospitals. Through our MOPS program, we're helping to support mothers as they face the challenge of raising children with Christian values in a very, very challenging cultural environment. Our lay Eucharistic visitors go into nursing homes, into homes where people can no longer come to church to take the sacrament to them, to care for them in each and every place they have encountered Jesus in the face of the people that they have ministered to that they have served at least I hope they have and that the people who have been served have seen Jesus likewise in their faces for there is no difference in God's family. There is no hierarchy in God's family. If we are part of God's family, then all are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is there have been times when we ourselves have been in need. We might not have been physically hungry. We might have been but we've certainly been spiritually and emotionally hungry. We've been a stranger in places. We've need clothing, the clothing of righteousness that comes through Christ himself. There might have been times we've been in prison, not in a physical prison, but an emotional prison through addiction or through depression or through inner hurts or betrayals. And there are certainly times we've been sick. So there must be no sense of superiority over those to whom we minister, for this is Christ's ministry. This is his work, the incognito king, who is in his family, in his children. We are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his voice. It is the king himself who ministers through our faith in action. And it is to the incognito king that we minister. It is to Jesus himself. May we see him in the face of the other and may his face be seen in us. And at the end of the age, may we hear our king who comes in all his glory say, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Amen.